one of our elders here, I, I call him, I, I tell him all the time he's our hoodlum elder because, uh, you know, he'll pull into a meeting with all his biker gear on, his motorcycle gear on and stuff, and, uh, and so uh, I tease him about that sometimes. I'm proud of, of Bill and, and so many others here at Wallula Christian Church. There's a long list of folks who are serving Jesus. You know, there's, uh, this isn't, his, his motorcycle rides and his service there with the Christian Motorcycle Association, that's not organized by anybody here at Wallula. It's not, uh, you know, uh, promoted by uh, any staff or, or leadership here at Wallula Christian Church. That's just Bill choosing to use his passion, something that he's passionate about, uh, to share uh, the love that Jesus has for him with others. And so that's pretty cool. The list is long of folks doing that in all kinds of different ways here at Wallula. Christian Church, and, and so uh, just thanks to all of you who are choosing to use your uh, talents and skills, just the way that God has shaped you to uh, reach out to others and to love them, and uh, Bill's a, a, an example of somebody that you, maybe, uh, maybe you wouldn't have guessed that he uh, likes to ride motorcycles when he was uh, teaching for many years one of our preschool Sunday school classes, or vice versa. There's the, just so many different things that make us who we are. This summer, uh, all three of my kids will be going to the Christ and Youth Move conference uh, and uh, with the student ministry here at Wallula Christian Church. And, uh, you know, next school year, all three will be in high school. So that's sort of a, a change for us. And I I'm excited that they'll be at the CIY conference this summer, though. CIY is a, a great event uh, every, every summer for high school students. And, uh, you know, I spent uh, 11 or 12 years or whatever in student ministry. So, uh, you know, I've been to CIY 11 or 12 times or whatever it is as an uh, adult, and uh, it just really makes a difference in the lives of students. I'm glad my kids will be going this summer. If you have uh, students uh, entering high school, grandkids, kids, uh, and, and they're not registered for that trip to CIY yet this summer, uh, you want to get with Zach or, or one of their, the youth coaches and find out how to register and get that done because it'll be a great... Uh, event. There's sort of some juggling that had to happen with CIY this year. They had planned to attend a conference in Oklahoma. CIY called and said, hey, we're not going to do that conference in Oklahoma. And uh, so, you, you know, how can we help you? And, and they uh, found a, a different uh, conference, the same time frame. This one is in Cleveland, Tennessee. It's on a beautiful campus. I've been to that campus before for CIY. It's going to be a great trip for all the students and adults involved in that. My wife, Sherry, said, hey, since our kids will be there. Maybe we should plan our family vacation. We'll meet them at the end of CIY and we'll go to Washington, D.C. Now, when you figure this out, you know, Sherry makes it sound like you're almost there. Cleveland, Tennessee is like halfway, you know, it's so not quite, but I'm excited about that trip. We're going to do that. I've never been to Washington, D.C. before. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know, I've been telling people already, don't worry because the Kaufmans are going to straighten things out and all that sort of silly yeah, hang out, you'll get all kinds of dad jokes with me. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that, and I was thinking about that trip and, and just thinking about all the different things that make uh, us who we are, you know, all the different experiences, all the different uh, relationships, and the same thing's true no matter sort of what you do as a, as a profession. I think about presidents, right? There's all kinds of kind of goofy things that make up our past presidents, make up who they are as people, maybe stuff we don't know about. Let's start at the beginning with George Washington. I mean, we know some things about George Washington. 
or at least we think we know some things about George Washington. There's a cherry tree and wooden teeth and, and that sort of thing. Uh, George Washington actually did have dentures, but they weren't wooden. They were made out of hippopotamus ivory, human teeth, uh, stone, uh, all tied together with lead bra and brass screws and gold wire, which just sounds appetizing, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's really great. Now, historians think that maybe this myth of wooden teeth came from, uh, the, you know, Washington enjoying uh, certain beverages, coffee and wine and that sort of thing, and maybe the wine stained the fractures in his false teeth, giving them sort of this grainy wood appearance. And so maybe that's why we think George Washington had wooden teeth. Or just sort of a little fact that makes up Washington who he is. Uh, you, Think about other presidents like Gerald Ford, perhaps. Gerald Ford, the most interesting thing, I suppose, about his presidency is, is that he was never elected to either the vice presidency or the presidency by a, by a, a popular vote, by a, a public vote. He's the only president to ever have ascended to that position without being elected to either one of those positions. You think about another famous uh, father of our nation, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson hated public speaking so much that he limited his speeches to one speech per term. So he only gave a, a public speech twice. He, uh, he even uh, sent in his State of the Union address in a, a manuscript form to Congress, and then the clerk of Congress just read the speech to, to Congress. And, and that was actually a, a tradition that was followed all the way until Woodrow Wilson was president, and he decided to give that speech himself to Congress. And so we have Woodrow Wilson to thank for that, I suppose. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was also a, a brilliant guy and an inventor. He invented the swivel chair. So whenever you're bored in your office and you're kind of spinning around, you can thank Thomas Jefferson for that. How about uh, Martin Van Buren? Who wants to give their favorite Martin Van Buren fact? Yeah, me too. I, I didn't know anything about really Martin Van Buren. He was a guy who had lots of different nicknames, like the Sly Fox, the Little Magician, the Red Fox of Kinderhook, because he had reddish hair, and he came from a town in New York uh, called Kinderhook. And that was actually one of his longest-held nicknames was Old Kinderhook, because he hailed from Kinderhook. In fact, in 1840, when he was running for election, he had political signs... Uh, promoting this nickname, Old Kinderhook, uh, the, on the signs they just said O-K. And historians say, at least the article I read about this, says that uh, that's where our abbreviation O-K comes from, is Martin Van Buren's Old Kinderhook uh, publicity signs. How about Barack Obama? We have lots of facts. We know more recent presidents like Barack Obama. One I didn't know is that he claims to hate ice cream Right? How did a guy like that ever get elected? Right? He hates ice cream. Not, no political statement there, just that he hates ice cream. Barack Obama hate, claims to hate ice cream because of a high school job he held at uh, Baskin Robbins. It led to his hatred of ice cream, which leads me to believe maybe I need a part-time job. Uh, 
Barack Obama hates ice cream. My daughter Lacey's favorite president is James Madison because James Madison was our shortest president. He was only five feet, four inches tall, and occasionally Lacey will say that she's going to be president someday. And uh, so her favorite is James Madison because, you know, she wants to hold a record at something. And since Lacey comes in at a whopping five, two and a half, she would then become our shortest president. All these silly little things that make up who we are, you know, all the relationships that we've had in the past, all the experiences that we've gone through and that we've, we've, we remember and uh, so many different things make us who we are and, and that's true of presidents and it's true of each one of us and I was just thinking about identity, where, where does identity come from? If, if uh, you're president, man, you're president for life, right? I mean, you, you sort of, you're, you'll be remembered as that leader as that president and and sometimes our job can sort of define who we are sometimes it's relationships that we have that sort of define who we are there's all these different things that that maybe we draw some of our identity from but really truly as followers of Jesus our identity has to be found in Jesus as sons and daughters of the creator sustainer redeemer God. How amazing is that? To be a part of that team, to be a part of that family, to have our, our identity found in Jesus. And we can absolutely become the person that Jesus intends for us to be. I think that a story of Jesus inviting some of his very first followers to, to follow him in John chapter 1, verses 35 to uh, 42, are, are going to teach us uh, four keys to becoming the person that Jesus most wants us to be. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to that first chapter of the book of John. We'll be reading verses 35 to 42. John chapter 1, verse 35. This is what God's word says. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. All right, so a simple short story that I think highlights for us four keys to becoming exactly who Jesus intends for us to be. Key number one is to follow Jesus now. Take a look at how uh, Jesus is introduced to these uh, few disciples here in verses 35 to 37. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. This, this story comes in a string of stories that, that perhaps uh, were back to back to back to back days, four different days. And, and, uh, and John, the, 
the Baptist is sitting here with a few of his disciples. It's a little confusing uh, when we lay out all the characters in the story because the gospel is written by the apostle John who is most likely one of those disciples who was with John the Baptist. But when we read in verse 35 that this John was there with two of his disciples, it's the Baptist that we're talking about. And, and John the Baptist was a really interesting guy. You, you maybe remember some stories from Sunday school or VBS growing up or whatever about John the Baptist and and camel hair and eating locusts and honey and he was the first uh, prophet in, in over 400 years and uh, his entire ministry was focused on leading the way pointing the way towards Jesus but he had attracted quite a following as he preached a baptism of repentance as he talked about the kingdom of God coming and being very near and as he pointed towards Jesus there were all kinds of folks who were interested in that and who were hanging out and learning from John the Baptist and here in this story we read about two guys who were there with John the Baptist who had been following him who had probably been baptizing with him who had been listening and learning and hearing all that John the Baptist had had to say they were there with him and and, in verse 36 Jesus happens by and John the Baptist said look the Lamb of God so this is a really interesting phrase it's a really interesting description of Jesus one that's not hardly used in the gospels at all in fact only twice is it used in all of the gospels and we read it right here in in the first chapter of of the book of John and and John the Baptist uses that term the Lamb of God Uh, scholars will will argue a little bit exactly what John the Baptist meant but I I don't think we have to dive into that argument very deep because the consensus when you boil it all down he's pointing to Jesus as some kind of sacrifice that he's he's going to be a sacrifice on our behalf uh, for God and and that's what the lamb whether he's pointing to a Passover lamb or or whatever else that's how he's describing Jesus it's perhaps the most apt description of Jesus in all of the gospels people struggle with figuring out exactly who Jesus is and how to describe him and even as we get it deeper into this story we'll read about you know these disciples who say we found the Messiah you've got to come check this out and you just wonder as these disciples as we see them grow through the gospels exactly what they meant when they used that term Messiah in describing Jesus but John the Baptist understood that Jesus was going to be a different kind of Messiah he wasn't a political or military leader that he his life was to be lived in service to others culminating in his death and resurrection from the grave And so John the Baptist points uh, them directly to this Lamb of God. And when they heard that description in verse 37, those two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So these short few verses teach us something about each one of these characters that we're introduced to. It teaches us something about Jesus, that he was a different kind of Messiah, that he, his life was, was uh, he came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. It teaches us something about John the Baptist, that Jesus describes John as greatest among men. And, and it's easy to see why he would describe John the Baptist in that way. Because John the Baptist was a great leader. He had attracted this following. And, and maybe when we study leadership and we study great leaders in history, we can, we can see how difficult it is to attract a following, to really lead. But maybe the thing that's even more difficult for leaders to do 
is to allow those followers to sort of lead on their own, to, to release those followers to do something else. And John the Baptist's entire ministry was, was to point others to Jesus. He said, I've got to decrease and he has to increase. You know, that's, that's really easy to say. It makes sense. But in practice, that's really hard for people to do. And John the Baptist was able, we, we see him doing it here in John chapter 1, appointing the, his disciples to Jesus, saying, there's the Lamb of God, go follow him. And we learn something about these two disciples, that they're willing to follow after Jesus. That's a simple word that we, we understand well, follow. You know, and in this story, it, it carries a couple of different meanings. The first meaning is that very simple, basic meaning that, that we learn in first grade when we play follow the leader. You know, there's the line leader and we follow her everywhere she goes, right? We get that. We understand that. And at a very basic level, that's what these guys are doing. They're chasing after Jesus. John the Baptist said, there goes the Lamb of God. They get up and they follow Jesus down the road. This very simple follow the leader sort of meaning. But that word follow has a deeper meaning as well. And I think as we read through this story, we're going to learn that these disciples understood that, that word to, to be a discipleship word. That they're making a decision to follow after Jesus that's a one-time decision that includes to physically follow after him, but it's a once and for all decision. It's a decision where they're saying, I'm all in. That I want to I know this guy. I want to learn from this guy. I want to follow this Messiah. I want to I live with Jesus. Uh, they accept this simple invitation to follow after Jesus right now. It's the same invitation that's offered to each one of us this morning, today. We have the same invitation to follow after Jesus. And if we want to become the person that Jesus expects us to become, desires for us to become, the first key is to accept that invitation and just to follow after him. To, to choose to live our life in a way that, that follows in that simple pattern that lives like him. That, that follows after him, to spend time knowing him more and more, which is really key number two, to stay with Jesus. Look at verses 38 and 39. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. In this series, we've eavesdropped on several conversations that Jesus has had with other folks. We listened one week to Jesus uh, talk with disciples after the resurrection. We listened to Jesus talk with the Samaritan woman at the well. We've listened to Jesus have a conversation last week with a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. And throughout all these conversations, I think we've, we've learned that Jesus has this way to sort of cutting to the chase. He gets right to the heart of the matter. And he cuts to the chase in, in a direct way here, right? These guys stand up. They're following after him. Jesus kind of looks over his shoulder and he says what do you want why why are you doing this where are you going what do you want maybe he should have said who do you want because as a as a disciple we're really looking for that person and not that that something and, and Jesus just asked this simple question what do you want and it kind of appears at least to catch these two guys off guard you can almost sort of hear them stammering can't you uh well uh rabbi what I mean is uh where are you staying 
And so if we think that Jesus asked this sort of odd question, what do you want? Or this very blunt question anyway, what is it you're after? What do you want? The disciples respond with a, a more odd kind of question or answer. Uh, where are you staying? And maybe at first glance it seems like uh, they don't really know what they're doing. I, I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt here though. Because I kind of think that perhaps what they're driving at here is, hey, Jesus, this, this can't just be a side-of-the-road sort of conversation. We just don't want directions from you to the next stop. It, what we need from you is going to require more time than even this journey to wherever it is you're staying. We want to know where you're staying because we want to be there with you. Because we want to follow you and that deeper meaning of that word follow we want to stay with you you know we try to do that here at Walula Christian Church we try to uh, think about how do we stay with Jesus and, and we, we talk about it even on Sunday mornings it's sort of interesting to hear you know people sometimes and in, in what they think about different church services and even about how we do things here at Walula Christian Church we'll have folks ask us questions sometimes about why you know Sunday morning looks the way Sunday mornings look and one of the questions people often ask is hey what's the deal with communion why are we doing that every week why why do we serve and celebrate communion every Sunday and the the short answer is we we think the New Testament when believers got together in the New Testament they shared this meal together they broke bread together they remembered Jesus sacrifice together and so we do that weekly because we believe that that's what the New Testament says we should be doing as followers of Jesus and and uh, but people have questions even about the way we serve communion I, I received one email that asked about hey why are we doing it every week and and then they asked you know what what's the deal with with passing these elements by they described communion and this made me laugh as a drive-through communion and while I've never thought about communion here at Wallula, I can kind of understand the description, right? We, we pass the trays, and then it goes by, and it's sort of a pass-through, anyway, uh, style of, of serving communion. And, and they were just uh, thinking about, you know, if communion's really a time for us to be centered and focused on God, is this the best way to do it? And so I can, I can uh, appreciate the question, and I just responded by saying, hey, we try to do our best to center our attention. There's somebody who, who kind of tries to focus us in on communion time. There's time before the elements arrive and after the elements arrive for you to, to have some personal reflection time and prayer time with Jesus. And so we try to create the best moments we can for you to commune uh, personally with Jesus during that time. But let's be real with each other. You know, if, if those few moments are the only time during the week when we're spending in, in personal conversation and personal communion with Jesus, with our God, then it's not nearly enough, huh? If the, the 70 or 80 minutes of time that we spend on, on a Sunday morning gathered here all together is the only time we spend centered and focused and communing, hanging out with our Savior, then it's not nearly enough. I think perhaps that's what these two disciples were driving at when they asked, hey, where are you staying? Because I want to stay there too. 
because I need to begin a relationship with you. I need to follow you right now, but I need to stay there. I need to stick by your side. I need to learn from you. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he says, come, and you will see. Again, there's this simple invitation. That's what I want to. I want you to know me more, and I want to know you more, Jesus says. Come and you will see. The disciples go on to, to give us even the time that this happens. It was about the 10th hour. It's just a little detail that I think points to the fact that there was an eyewitness here, that this is an actual event, and that it made such an impact on this disciple that he remembered the time of day that that happened. And we need to begin a relationship with Jesus and stay in relationship with him so that he can build that same kind of impact, make that same kind of difference in our lives. Key number three is to share Jesus. Then we, we follow him, we stay with him, and we share the difference he's made in our life. Look at verses 40. We're going to read through the beginning of 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So finally in verse 40, we meet one of the disciples. One of the disciples that had gotten up to follow after Jesus had asked, hey, where are you staying? I want to stay there too. I want to stay with you. We finally, he's named. We learn one of those disciples' names, and it's Andrew. Who, who is a disciple, one of the 12, who follows after Jesus, becomes one of the 12 apostles. And to be super honest, we don't know a ton about Andrew. What we know about Andrew, much of what we know about Andrew, we learn in a few stories like this one. In this story, we learn that Andrew was one of Jesus' very first disciples. We learn that Andrew was the brother of Peter, who... Uh, plays a huge role in the New Testament, the book of Acts, and the, the growth, the early growth of the early church. We learn that Andrew was his brother. We learn from this story and a few others that whenever we read about Andrew, we read about Andrew bringing people to Jesus. Here he's going to find his brother and bringing Peter to Jesus. And a little later in John, we'll read about when Jesus feeds the 5,000. You remember that story? There's a little boy who has some fish and some bread. It's Andrew who brings that little boy and his happy meal to Jesus. A little later in John, in chapter 12, some Gentiles are asking about this guy Jesus and what he's doing. And it's Andrew who brings those Gentiles to have a conversation with Jesus. So over and over in the few stories when we really learn or read anything about Andrew, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. I, if there's a few things that could be said about a follower of Jesus, man, this should be one of them. That no matter what they were doing, they were looking for opportunities to bring others to meet Jesus. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, died earlier this year. There were all kinds of articles written around his death, kind of looking at his life. Some were really interesting. One, one I read talked all about this, this relationship, this friendship that he had with Johnny Cash, the country singer. It was really sort of interesting. Uh, another recounted all the different relationships that Billy Graham had with sitting presidents and the difference that he made in those administrations. Again, really kind of interesting. 
Another uh, talked about Billy Graham's ministry and the fact that Billy Graham was a guy from the South who ministered uh, through the, the 50s and the 60s and the civil rights movement and it, and it sort of addressed some of the choices he made uh, with the civil rights movement, some of the good choices and some of the bad choices. And, and I just thought, man, that, that really says something about, you know, it, it's a description of every one of our lives that we can make a list of some of our really great choices and we can make a list of some of our questionable choices and we can make a list of some of our really bad choices. Every one of us can do this. But no matter the list you're making, no matter the article you're writing about Billy Graham, it's really hard to make that list. It's really hard to write that article without saying he was a guy who mostly pointed people to Jesus. He was a guy who mostly brought people to meet Jesus. And man, if that can be at the end of my list, if that can be at the end of my story, how awesome would that be? We don't know a ton about Andrew, but we do know that when, when Andrew is, is busy in ministry, he's bringing people to meet Jesus. Every one of us can look for opportunities to meet, uh, to bring people to meet Jesus. Maybe it's like Andrew and that little boy with a few fish and a couple loaves of bread. He brings that little boy in his happy meal to meet Jesus as a way to serve Christ. You're, you're out there serving in, in the homeless shelter on Thursdays and in Bible studies and, and with the Christian Motorcycle Association and all kinds of different ways that we're serving and sharing the love of Jesus. You can invite friends who share that same passion to serve a along with you and and to introduce them or to reintroduce them to Jesus and the difference that Jesus is making. Maybe it's like those those Gentiles who came to to Philip first and then to Andrew and and said, hey, we want to have a conversation with Jesus. How do we do that? And, and you can invite people to be a part of your small group or your prayer times and introduce them again to Jesus. Maybe it's like Andrew right here who says to Peter, we've seen the Messiah. You've got to come and see him. You've got to hear him. You can invite folks to worship with you and and to be challenged through God's word and through worship to, to hear and to see the difference that Jesus is making. Last week, uh, some friends of Lacey's came and we were having lunch after church and, and, uh, this, one young man said to me, hey, uh, that speech you gave or that sermon, I don't really know what to call it. Uh, I don't go to church much. That was really great. And I said, thanks. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it a sermon, a message, a talk, nap time. It doesn't really matter. You can call it any of those things, right? I'm, I'm just glad you, you, know, you had a chance to hang out with us and, and, uh, and be here and, and have lunch with us. Thanks for being here. And that's just really kind of struck me as hey, there's this simple thing that some, some folks found out, uh, some high school kids, right? Hey, there's free pancakes. Maybe we ought to go have some free pancakes. And the only cost is we have to listen to this old guy talk for a while. Let's go do that. Then that's a pretty good deal, huh? A simple way just for, for somebody who hasn't had many opportunities to encounter and hear about Jesus, to have that opportunity. We can all grab hold of those opportunities to share Jesus, bring others to hear about him. Uh, Key number four here in our story is to listen to Jesus. Look at the end of verse 42. Uh, So Andrew brings uh, Simon Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus takes one look at Simon 
That's sort of interesting because all through uh, Peter's life, there's going to be these looks that are exchanged with Jesus. Right here, Jesus takes one look at, at, at Peter, Simon Peter, and changes his name. He gives him a nickname. He says, I, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. You know, you're going to be this foundation to what we're doing. That's a really cool nickname that Jesus gives to Peter. You know, there are other looks that are exchanged throughout Peter's life. They're not always this, uh, this sort of strong, sort of uh, uh, optimistic outlook. Jesus, you remember when Jesus walks on water, there's a storm, and he's walking on water towards the boat where his disciples are. Peter looks out, he says, if that's really you, Jesus, you, you call me out and I'll walk on water. And Jesus said, it's me, come on out. And Peter steps out of the boat and he walks on water while he's exchanging this look with Jesus. When he looks away at the storm and the wind and the waves crashing, he begins to sink. You know how easy it is to lose that gaze, huh? Jesus, when he's arrested and he goes through trials and eventually he's crucified three different times, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. And after that third time, Scripture says that Jesus looked over and he shared that look with Peter. Peter's life was filled with ups and downs following Jesus. It's remarkable to me that before any of those ups, in any of those downs, despite any of those ups and any of those downs, that Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Rock. You're going to be key. You're going to be influential in the building of my kingdom, in the building of my church, in the expansion of my family. And Peter does exactly that. You know, sometimes it's so easy for us not to hear Jesus because he's looking at each one of us and he's saying, I am willing to change your name. I am willing to invite you to follow me. I want you to stay with me. I want you to share me with others. You can make a difference for me and with me for my kingdom. Don't misunderstand. He's aware of all of our ups and all of our downs. He sees them just like he saw Peter's ups and downs before we do. And despite of those things, in spite of those things, Jesus is looking at each one of us. All we have to do is listen. All we have to do is hear. All we need to do is to accept that invitation. My daughter Lacey will change her mind quite frequently if you ask her, hey, what do you think you want to do after you graduate? You go to college, what, are you going to, what degree are you going to pursue? What are you going to do when you grow up? She changes her mind. In fact, she had a conversation with one of her friends recently. She said, hey, do you know what I want to be? And, and her friend said, uh, you mean an astronaut? Because every other week, Lacey says she wants to be an astronaut, which is a cool thing to want to be, and maybe she will be someday. And she said, I want, no, no, not that. And he, he said, okay, well, what then? What do you want to be when you grow up? And Lacey said, uh, well, I want to be, mom, what do you call that? And Sherry said, flight nurse. And I'm not sure what a flight nurse is. I'm sure it's a great thing, right? It'll be really challenging and meaningful and beneficial. But even if Lacey becomes a flight nurse someday, it'll be a very small part of who she is. 
I hope my kids will choose to, to have a job, to earn a living, doing something that they're passionate about and they love and all of that. But more than any of that, I hope that my kids, I hope and I'm praying that each one of us will choose to become the person that Jesus absolutely desires for us to be by choosing to follow him now, by staying with him, by sharing him with others, and by really listening to him believing when he says, I want to change your name. Let's stand.